You're listening to Ion Health on Dubai I 103.8, delving into your overall well-being with Arab Health. I'm Helen Farmer, and you are listening to Ion Health here on Dubai I 103.8, brought to you by MedLab Middle East and Arab Health. Our final expert is clinical psychologist Dr. Thraya Kanafani. She is joining us from the Human Relations Institute and Clinic, explaining some of the issues that are coming into clinic. We might be surprised. Dr. Thryer, I feel like you cannot get an appointment with a therapist, be it marriage counselling or children's assessment for absolute, literally love nor money right now. And I wondered if that's just something that I'm hearing anecdotally from friends in the community or if that very much is the case for those of you on the inside. What's the, what's the feel? Go, what's going on? Well, I mean, I guess it depends. So there are a lot of people who are extremely busy and then there are psychologists who are not as busy. I think it just depends on who you're looking for. And sometimes word of mouth keeps you specific to one particular therapist that you want to see. But in reality, we kind of all do the same work. So Mm -hmm. sometimes if a person is really struggling, it's really good to just look towards other psychologists rather than just focusing on a person's name, you know, or or like reputation. Well said indeed. Um, Thry, I wanted to ask you then in terms of what's coming into clinic with you guys, um, what what are some of the most common issues, conditions, complaints, diagnoses that you're seeing? And do you have any read on why that might be? Well, I, I would say definitely anxiety has been on the rise. So generalized anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder, uh, a lot of relationship difficulties. But by far, I would say one of the most significant difficulties that I'm hearing about consistently is is a sense of loneliness. So the loneliness seems to be on the rise. And that is, um, it's not uncommon, but it's extremely interesting, especially after what happened with COVID. I mean, we were under lockdown for such a long time. So now that we're finally out and able to walk around and see people, that loneliness is still there. So it's really interesting to hear that in comparison to before. That is really interesting because you'd imagine there would be this, this vacuum of socialising. I think that was very much filled. There was this huge appetite for going out and socialising and being back in the workplace. And, yeah. um, right. and I'm hearing a lot of social anxiety and I'm wondering if that sense of actually I don't want to be in those situations is leading to this sense of isolation and loneliness. What are some of the indicators as to the, the causes that you're, that you're seeing in terms of this loneliness? Well, I think what happened was once we all shut down because of COVID, everybody had to kind of be alone with themselves and then realize the things that they were struggling with. But there were a lot of people that were distracting themselves from that, even when they had to to lock down. And then when we opened up, there's this superficial need and hunger to be around people where we haven't really discovered and, and dealt with the difficulties that we're going through internally because loneliness is an internal loneliness. It's not an external loneliness. And so by not exp- by not actually working through and helping yourself through that loneliness, when you have the time, you're just kind of now superficially distracting yourself, but that loneliness is still going to be there. So there is this rise of loneliness because people were able to identify it during COVID, but those that didn't deal with it have now just become more aware of it, even in social situations. That's so interesting. And I'm sure a lot of people listening today whether you'd like to admit it to a therapist or someone around you or even to yourself, probably do have moments of loneliness, if not prolonged moments. When, when is it worth reaching out for help and what kind of advice can you, can you offer in a session or even with us today, Thraya? 
Well, one of the things that I recommend is, you know, always do what is necessary for yourself before you try to go th to see a therapist. Because in, in, in essence, we are here to help. We're here to assist. We're not here to save. And we're not going to do all the work for you. So if you start the, the process on your own, that can be very helpful. So things like, you know, exercising, eating healthy, sleeping well, meditation or like breathing exercises, all of these can help with not just anxiety and depressive symptoms, but can also help with depression. Because when you're exercising, you can actually interact with other people. You know, when you're trying to eat, you can make that into a social interaction. So all of these things could be very helpful for, for your mood as well, because we know that the physical and the psychological uh, psychological are one mm -hmm. there's really no such thing as mental health versus physical health it's all one and so essentially starting with good hygiene good personal hygiene in terms of food in terms of exercise in terms of sleep in terms of you know meditation and giving yourself some time to exist within your own self this is really important and also when you feel that you're doing all of that, but then there's still a lot of struggle, that's when it's good to go see a therapist because that therapist will just kind of tap into different areas that may, you may not necessarily have brought to your consciousness just yet. It's interesting. And we hear this a lot in a time where we've never been so connected. We've never been so disconnected. Um, what role do you think social media might play into that loneliness piece? I think social media increases loneliness because the idea and when I say social media, I don't mean in terms of like things like platforms like Zoom or platforms like Skype or platforms that allow you to connect to your part to your friends and parents and things like that. But more social media where you're just like randomly scrolling and just killing time and disconnecting from your own true presence in the moment. That's the social media usage that can be extremely not only it increases a sense of loneliness and a sense of depression and even a sense of anxiety but it but it's actually one of the most contributing factors to it at this day and age so i think lessening the amount of social media usage can be very helpful because it it, it kind of forces you almost to sit with yourself and figure out how to work through the difficulties that you're going through because we all struggle and it's important to not look at it from a place of weakness, but just from a place of understanding and compassion. It is ex exactly right. You know, it, it's it, it's very human to, to feel everything that you've just been describing. But we deal with it in certain ways and distraction there. So for some, it might be social media. For some, it might be food or shopping or, you know, relationships. And there's all sorts of, I guess what people might term dysfunctional ways of dealing with some mental health problems. And you've, you've touched on some really good coping strategies there. But I, I wanted to come back to therapy because I think for an awful lot of people, there is unfortunately something of a stigma still attached to it. You know, we think about being, you know, this American on the couch and, he, you know, it's going to be mm. going to feel going to be blaming my mother and analysing my dreams. And I mean, I'm not saying all <laughs> mothers are completely blameless, but I'm curious if, if anyone is thinking, OK, I can't talk to my partner about this anymore or I don't want to be a burden to my friends. Can you demystify what might happen if someone comes to you? And let's use anxiety as, um, as an example in, in this situation throughout to, to really give us a bit of a, a glimpse behind the curtain in clinic. What might happen during a typical first session? So anyone who is thinking about it listening today goes, OK, I know what to expect and I know that might be helpful to me. Right. So first thing, we don't have couches that you lay on. I think that's a great place to start there. I mean, we have couches. You can lay on it, but it's just not you're, the norm. You're not required. Um, no, no, no. It's not required. Essentially, what, what usually would happen is that you're going to come into a therapy session. You would first have to fill out some forms that are quite mandatory in terms of like your treatment policy that highlights 
a lot of confidentiality and the limits to confidentiality and so on and so forth. And then after that, you go in with your therapist into session and, and it becomes really a conversation. So it's it's kind of like the therapist is trying to understand what's going on in your life. And let's say if you struggle with anxiety, the therapist will dig into your past a little bit and to your thoughts and the behaviors that you're engaging in in your day-to-day -day life because they want to see what is contributing to your anxiety and what's kind of underneath it all. And essentially, not only are they going to give you some strategies to use on a day-to-day -day basis, such as breathing exercises or grounding techniques or like different uh, ways to actually help yourself work through the anxiety rather than avoid it and procrastinate it, there's that, but there's also a sense of connecting a lot of difficulties that you experience within your life as a child, mm -hmm. not by blaming parents, but just kind of understanding what needs weren't met for you and how you can do that for yourself now and, and what we call reparenting. So there's obviously there are very different forms of therapeutic orientation. So everybody hears about CBT, but then there are so many different forms other than that. And the reality is, is that they all work. They all just work in different ways and different people respond to different therapy styles. So essentially it's your therapist and you having a conversation where you're working together to help you heal through whatever it is that you're going through. There is no such thing as the therapist is the expert on everything. Absolutely not. The therapist is responsible for 50% of that relationship and 100% of that 50%, but you are also responsible for your 50% and 100% of that 50%. Mm -hmm. And by both of you working together and kind of holding hands and, and really like walking through this journey together, that's how you can move forward. But if there's a dependency that like, and some clients will do that. They'll come in thinking that, you know, therapist will fix them, which I wish that it was that simple, but it's not, you know, the therapy really happens outside of that one hour a week, not inside that one hour because the client is doing most of the work outside. And so, so that's kind of where, what, what therapy really is. It's the work that the client brings in mm -hmm. and does outside as well as the knowledge that the therapist brings into that hour. And presumably having a personality match must be important as well. I mean, I, the first time I went for therapy, it was with someone that I immediately did not click mm. with. And I'm not expecting, you know, it to be a love at first sight situation, but I didn't feel relaxed in their, in their presence. I didn't feel relaxed in the space. And I spent an hour and 750 dirhams saying I was fine, <laughs> which I wouldn't <laughs> recommend. Um, but it, it was, well, you know, only when you do meet someone, you think, okay, I do... I might not know you well, I might never know you well, but I trust you that you can let that guard down. And I'm a big advocate for everyone, you know, having someone they can talk to, someone who doesn't have an agenda or an opinion on what's going on in your life. Do you feel like everyone right. should, if not be in therapy, then have some therapy? Oh, I'm, a, I'm an avid believer that every single person on this planet should have therapy, not because there's something wrong with us. It's just a matter of having someone that is not invested in your life talking to you about your life. And I think that kind of perspective is extremely powerful. So I don't think of therapy as, oh, there's something wrong with you. So that's why you see a therapist. But it's more so I'm talking to somebody that's really not invested. They have nothing to gain in whichever way my life goes. So whatever they're going to say to me is coming from a truly objective standpoint. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very powerful position to be in. Now, therapy is necessary because we feel so disconnected from so many things that we tended to belong to, which confuses where we belong right now. So essentially therapy is necessary and it's here for people. 
you don't have to use it only when things go really bad. You can use it as a preventative measure to ensure that your life is heading down the path that you want for yourself. And I think that is the most powerful way to use therapy. And I, th- I would say that in terms of marriages as well, you know, not just going to see a marriage counsellor mm-hmm. when you're at crisis or at a crossroads, but as you say, to make sure that you are still going in the direction that you want to be going on. Um, right. Last question, Dr. Ayer. For anyone who says, okay, actually, I know that I might need some help in this area or I know that it's something I want to explore with an expert in in a space where it's safe to do that. Um, do you need to go to your family doctor to get a referral? How do you know um, what kind of expert do you need, be it a counsellor, psychologist, a psychiatrist? Can you help us just finally understand that? That's a great question, Helen. Honestly, I think um, if you visit a psychologist first, even if you need a psychiatric evaluation, they will refer you to a psychiatrist. So going to a psychologist first makes it just easier because there are, unfortunately, a lot of psychiatrists that still follow the old medical model that is basically medicine only and therapy doesn't matter. Whereas in psychology, we don't have that mindset. And those, those to be fair, those psychiatrists are rare now. But um, psychologists in general, they understand that there is benefit to medication as well as therapy. Mm-hmm. And so we test to see where the client is. So seeing a psychologist first to kind of assess the situation and then, you know, taking it from there. Um, for anyone listening today, are you able to give us a quick uh, roundup of the things, the people, the age group, the demographics, the conditions that you're treating there at the Human Relations Institute and Clinic? Well, at the clinic, we we deal with pretty much everything above the age of 11 years old. Um, Myself, personally, it's mostly uh, young adults and couples. Dr. Thryer, their clinical psychologist. It's been a pleasure to have you with us this afternoon on Eye on Health here on Dubai Eye 103.8. Make sure you tune into Eye on Health next week, brought to you by MedLab, Middle East and Arab Health. We're going to be talking infectious diseases, what you need to know about monkeypox. Eye on Health with Arab Health on Dubai Eye 103.8.